Good morning, everyone. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. It's great to preach knowing that your church has spent the last week focused on prayer. I'll take this slot anytime, twice on Sundays, which actually I'm already doing twice on Sundays. The pastors have asked me to speak on the issue of ethnic harmony. Next week, Jared's going to be preaching on the right to life. We wanted to begin this year by holding these two important values before our church as we look into 2021. They're on the heart of God, and they must be on ours as well. As you know, JT and I are working together to help our church be a place of harmony, gospel dialogue, and gospel perspective on issues relating to race and ethnicity. Quick update, at the end of this month, we'll be launching a page on our website where all our resources, our live stream recordings, our podcast, and other resources can be found in one spot. It's just a way we as pastors want to serve you as you look to consider these issues. Ethnic harmony is an important part of our identity as a church. And I'm not just talking about black-white race issues. True ethnic harmony is about all people. We have a wonderful diversity of ethnic backgrounds, primary languages, countries of origin, and inter-ethnic families in our church. We need a vision to pursue ethnic harmony for all of us because it's important for who we are now and who we're meant to be moving forward. So where do we go for this vision of ethnic harmony? We don't look to the past. That's just a hot mess. It doesn't help to look to the present culture for our cues either. Whatever good work is being done seems to get drowned out by loud, shrill voices filled with anger and recrimination. Nobody listens to anybody. The world doesn't have what it takes to get us where we need to be. My conviction is that racial and ethnic harmony is possible in the church in a way it isn't anywhere else. But we must have an eternal perspective and work that back to where we are right now. And that leads us to our text today. Let's read Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. 
And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we consider this vision today, we would be captured by it. We would be changed by it. It would shape who we think about ourselves as multi-ethnic people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me give some scriptural context for where we are in Revelation. We never want to drop into this book and not know where we're at. There are three audiences that must be kept in mind when reading the book of Revelation. There is an eternal audience. This is a revelation of what God wants the entire cosmos to know about the end of all things. There's a second audience, and that's the people to whom this is written. The churches John is carrying on his heart in exile on Patmos. They are churches opposed and oppressed in the world. People who feel like the whole purpose of God may be snuffed out in their generation. The third group is us. You and me. We who gather in the beginning of 2021 hoping to not repeat 2020, and certainly not to have worse. We can draw from Revelation for our lives. We can draw from Revelation for our times. If we're careful to remember that this is God's word to his people across time and culture and not a crystal ball on our current events. Let me catch you up on the scene in Revelation 5. Revelation 1.1 introduces this book as the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave John to show his servants all things that must soon take place. John encounters the Alpha and the Omega, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. He then receives in chapters 2 and 3 specific messages 
to be given to real churches that speak of the trials and temptations of God's people in the world. He has his first heavenly vision beginning in chapter 4. It's a vision of a throne room where he sees the holy grandeur of the heavenly worship of God for the first time. Yet there is business to attend to. The throne one holds a scroll in his hand. Mark Dever says, this scroll seems to be the document upon which the rest of history is written out. The scroll contains God's answer to a world under the dominion of the evil one. But no one is worthy to open it. With this news, John's hopes are dashed. Without the scroll, the world in all its sin and corruption and evil is beyond rescue. Without the scroll, there is no justice possible in this world. And God's people are left in a merciless world where they don't belong. He begins to weep with despair. But a figure emerges. John is told this is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the great conqueror, verse 5, chapter 5. This figure is the only one able to open the scroll. He is the only hope. But what John sees emerge is radically different than what he expects. This one who is worthy to open the scroll is a lamb. Standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns and seven eyes depict divine authority and divine wisdom. This is the crucified king prophesied from of old. As the crucified king takes the scroll, the heavenly hosts fall down to worship. The words of their song are the focus of our time today. And so let's look at it again. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So let's consider today what... Jesus, the crucified king, the one who is worthy, has done and how it makes the work of ethnic harmony essential and possible in God's church. A first point, he has ransomed people for God. You see that in verse 9. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. You see, this is a new song because Jesus is ascending to the throne to take the seat of judgment and authority. But his worthiness to open the scroll comes because at one point he left his throne. 
That's why he has to return. He left it at one time. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that the, the, the text that Jim preached on just a few weeks ago. Though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, and that therefore is monumental, that therefore takes us to this very moment that John is viewing, this very moment where this one who was crucified stands and returns to the throne to take his rightful seat. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He alone is worthy to open the scroll. It's amazing, I thought about it this morning. John saw Jesus crucified, and now he sees him glorified. What a story to tell me when I see him in heaven. This is the glory of redemption, brothers and sisters. Jesus has paid the just penalty for our sin with his own blood. It has happened. It is a finished work. If you are here today and you do not know what will happen to you when that scroll is read and your fate is declared, there is mercy at the throne because there is a lamb on the throne. Receive the Lamb who was slain for you. See your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Confess that you deserve the judgment of God for your sins and place your hope entirely on the ransom blood of Jesus for you. He is worthy of your trust because He has died for your sins. I think the second thing we see he has made them a kingdom and priest to our God. Grammatically and situationally, this is a present status. This is where we exist right now. We are a kingdom and we are a priest to our God. We have received a call to be priests of the kingdom. Ed Welsh describes this priestly call like this. As priests, we bless others. Having known the blessing of the Lord's unwavering faithfulness, we also bless others in His name. We are, and I love this, we are situated at the juncture of heaven and earth. From that place, we are in a position to hear the blessing of God and then distribute it to others. This might be the best part of our priestly work. It's a beautiful summary of our missional call as a people. 
and as a church. We remain here on this earth to bring the good news of the kingdom to lost people. To intercede for a lost and hurting world before the throne of God. That's our call. Because he is our king. And we are of his kingdom. Third point. They shall reign on the earth. Here's the good news. We do win in the end. You may not feel like a winner this year. Eagles fans. <laughs> but we do win in the end. We are the people of the victory. One of the things I find interesting is how we tend to think winning is somehow up to us. That God needs us to come off the bench and contribute valuable minutes to the effort. Why else am I on the team if I'm not meant to contribute and fill out the stat sheet? I just finished a four-year slow read through the entire Bible on New Year's Day. It just happened to work out that way. In the province of God, the chapters I read on the first day of 2021 were Revelation 21 and 22. That's what's in view here. God's people... Free of sin, free of pain, free of troubles, free of sorrow, free of temptations, free of death itself. Enjoying eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. But things will get worse before they get better. That's what the scroll says. Many people wonder if that's started to happen over this past year. Maybe over this past week. <laughs> Maybe it has. I don't know. And maybe we're a little worried about our political system. About a pandemic virus. About economic instability. About social injustice. About the destruction of our way of life. It can seem like the other side, and I'm not talking politically, I'm talking the cosmic other side, is winning, and we need to do something about it. One of the things that grabbed me as I was reading through the final judgments, which culminate, they, they cover Revelation 6 through 20, and they culminate in this battle in, of the of Armageddon, the great battle at the end when all the forces of evil array against all the forces of God. Here's what I discovered in reading those chapters. We Christians never lift a finger in the battle. We don't shoot a gun. We don't launch a missile. We don't hack a server. We don't tear down statues. We don't occupy government buildings. Nowhere in Revelation do believers fight at all. What we see believers do in the final fight is this. We remain faithful to Jesus against both the persecutions and the temptations 
of the world. We witness to the saving mercies of God. And we watch and we worship as Jesus fulfills his promise to finish bringing his kingdom to earth. We will reign because he has won the victory. So who are gathered before this throne? The reason this text is crucial for understanding of racial and ethnic harmony is because of who it says has been ransomed, who are the priests, and who will reign with Christ. They are, from the text, from every tribe and language and people and nation. This isn't just a way of saying all kinds of folks are getting into heaven. This language is very significant in the Bible. You see it first in Genesis 10, speaking of the spread of a new mankind through Noah's sons after the flood. In Daniel 7, we see almost the exact same scene as the Son of Man takes his throne surrounded by diverse people, languages, and nations. It's a beautiful, it's behind the words of Jesus in the Great Commission of Matthew 28 when he tells his disciples to make disciples of all the world. Paul takes it up in Colossians 3.11 when he identifies representatives of particular racial, ethnic, and national groups and says they are all one in Christ. Seven times in Revelation itself, this diversity is described. Twice it's used, like here, to describe the redeemed people of God. The other five times we see it, it references either those who are already under judgment or those who are in the balance. This language is part of the larger storyline of human diversity and God's plan of redemption and judgment through history and into eternity. In her book, Mother to Son, Jasmine Holmes states, the Bible is full of ethnicity. From the parents of every ethnic Ethnicity imaginable in Genesis to the union of every ethnicity imaginable in Revelation. It's part of God's story and it's part of your story. So what do we take from the Bible's story of diversity? We take that ethnic diversity is meant to manifest the diversity of God. We take that because of sin, ethnic diversity is ripe for disharmony and cultural pride. We take that humankind from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will worship the idols of their culture and oppose the worship of God. We take that God's grand redemptive plan is to save and unite diverse people in Jesus Christ and we take that heaven is made up of beautiful harmony, of ethnic diversity. As Esau Macaulay writes, at the end we do not find the elimination of difference. Instead, the very diversity of cultures is a manifestation of God's glory. So why does the Bible stress Jesus has ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation? Simply this. It's to declare that there is no place you can come from 
There is no people you can belong to or be associated with. There is no group you can be identified with where Jesus can't find you and save you. There is no lostness anywhere in the world where Jesus can't go and get you. That's why this is important. This past Friday night, I was praying with some of my community leaders. And we were praying for the persecuted church. And just a list of the folks we prayed for. We prayed for 13 Christian families beaten and driven from their homes in Vietnam. We prayed for a Christian couple in Laos who have been threatened with prison. We prayed for 84 Christian families who have been driven from their village in India. We prayed for a Christian family regularly who has had to flee to different cities to escape persecution in Egypt. We prayed for a new believer who has been beaten and threatened with death by his own family in Syria. We prayed for a church who wept and worshipped as they watched authorities destroy their church building in Cuba. We prayed for an elderly Christian woman deteriorating in an Iranian prison. We pray for a Chinese ministry leader receiving death threats from the Beijing government right here in the United States. Brothers and sisters, it's people like this who make me thankful. It won't just be people like me at the throne. I'm going to turn the corner. I just want to offer some brief applications for ethnic unity from this text. The first is this. Being ransomed for God is the most important thing about you. This is important to remember in an era of identity politics. Identity politics takes something about me that I find important... And demands you find it just as important as I do. Identity politics has no color. It has no gender. It has no left wing. It has no right wing. It has no particular ideology. But the worship of the imperial self. Identity politics comes from identity lies that say things like, my rights are worthy. My needs are worthy. My grievances are worthy. My feelings are worthy. My political views are worthy. My freedoms are worthy. My anger is worthy. My oppression is worthy. My patriotism is worthy. My minority status is worthy. My accomplishments status are worthy. My causes are worthy. My religious traditions are worthy. And so on and so on and so on forever. Brothers and sisters, there will be no validation of our self-worth in heaven. The Lamb slain for the sins of the world, seated on the throne of judgment and salvation, only He is worthy. Second application. Our call as a kingdom and priest should shape how we live right now. We have a powerful, powerful representative role to play in our culture Right now, today, this week. We don't represent our tribe. We represent our king. Our priestly function calls us to faithfully represent Jesus. Where there is injustice, 
We stand not in our ethnicity, but in our priesthood on the side of justice. We can march with others against injustice. We can march with others for change in our political process. We can march with others for the unborn. But we will not march like others march. We always march with another agenda. Because we always live with a different call. We march and protest and post and debate with a holy call as priests of the living God. We march and protest and post and debate in the fear of God. As intercessors in a sin-sick world and as priests of the Lamb who is now on the throne. Our kingdom is not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven our home is the household of faith. Our destiny is the throne of the king. Brothers and sisters, let's live in these difficult days true to our priestly call. My third and final application point is this. What is happening around the throne in Revelation 5, should at least be beginning in our church. I love, I love my country. I weep for my country. I fear for my country. And I'm concerned for the church in my country. But I'm not hopeless. As I close, I want to take you to a place where I go sometimes to get perspective. I love to walk around the historic area of Philadelphia just to remind myself of what I value as an American and where it came from. Sometimes I'll just walk down there by myself. When I do that, at some point, I always end up in Washington Square. It's just a city square park, a block from Independence Hall, but to me, it's hallowed ground. To see with a natural eye Washington Park is just to see a city park where people walk their dogs and read their books and eat their Wawa hoagies and enjoy the shade of the city. But underneath the lawn and the paths and the trees, Washington Square is a cemetery. In the ground, even to this day, are up to 5,000 men and women who were buried there during the days of the founding of our country. Under that ground on one half of the park are buried the remains of patriot soldiers who were captured by the British. They died as prisoners of war 
within a few hundred feet from where the Declaration of Independence was first read. Many of these soldiers were believers in Jesus, whom you and I will see one day around the throne of Christ. On the other half of the park are buried black men and women, slave and free, American-born, and slave ship immigrants. Many of them died in the yellow fever epidemic of 1793 when 10% of the population of the city was lost to disease in just two months. Many of those black people who died that summer of 1793 mistakenly thought they could survive the disease because they had survived other diseases in slavery. Led by their pastors, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones, the Christians among them volunteered to minister to the sick and dying white neighbors as an act of civic mercy. They took this risk and made this sacrifice because they wanted to help build something. They wanted to be part of what they saw being built even though what was being built did not have their name on it. We're going to meet them around the throne as well. These white men and these black women and men, unknown now to history, all died because they were willing to sacrifice for the greater good. Each in their own way paid the ultimate cost for an idea of freedom that they never got to see. It's a complicated idea, this idea of freedom, that we still haven't totally figured out. When I stand in Washington Square, I force myself to picture these men and women in my mind, united in the grave when they were never united in life. I force myself to ponder between the graves of Washington Square and the glory of the heavenly throne, can we not as the church of Jesus Christ do something to bridge the gap? What can we do? Can we not build in the church something the world has never been able to build? A true harmony in ethnic and racial diversity. A true common cause. A little bit of heaven maybe on earth. Can we not at least work at it with the glorious throne as our visionary blueprint? If not us coming to fellowship, then who? If not now, then when? That's why I'm all in on the game of ethnic harmony. And I invite you to join me.
Let me leave you with something to whet your appetite. The singers in John 5, 9, and 10 that we talked about, they were the elders. That's who sang that song. But there is another song sung in Revelation 7, and this is our song, and it goes like this. Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they were crowding out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.